Now, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, some of you will have experienced this stuff really personally. Some of you won't, and that's okay. I just want to say it's great that whatever your experience has been, that you're the sort of person who wants to give time to thinking about it is a good thing. And I thank you for being here to think about this question. Here's what I want to do uh, for my section before we hear from some other voices. I want to speak to you about one, two, three. Okay, I will explain. I want to tell you one story uh, about these sorts of questions around mental health issues. I then want to uh, look at, for most of our time, two errors that I think the church at large and Christians and me at times uh, can make when it comes to thinking through issues of mental health and mental illness. Two things Christians often get wrong that makes them be like a bit silly around this stuff a lot of the time. I want to look at those and think about those so we can try not to make those errors. And then I want to end with three blessings that uh, I've experienced and those I've spoken to around these questions have experienced in knowing God and being a Christian in mental health difficulties. One story, two errors, three blessings. Is that okay? Great. It would have been better if it was three, two, one, and then you'd have felt we were... Anyway, we'll go one, two, three. Uh, one story, and uh, this story is about uh, me and my story, and I just felt it'd be appropriate to kind of show you where I'm coming from on this stuff. Uh, I'm a Christian, became a Christian when I was 19, and uh, that was sadly a few years ago now. Uh, and uh, before that, in my kind of mid to late teens, I, I kind of looking back would would kind of be very happy to say I experienced a, a really prolonged period of depression. Uh, I was uh, in a relationship with a very cool girl in the year above. And uh, thank you. And uh, that ended in a kind of particularly unpleasant circumstances for me. And uh, though a lot of my reaction in the early days to that would have been kind of good classic teenage melodrama and angst and all those things, uh, that experience plunged me into something that was much darker and much more than that. I'd say for around a year to 18 months, every day was finding myself uncontrollably weeping just randomly. And that feels like that's more than like, ah, oh, I broke up with my girlfriend. Uh, something happened to me. The way I described it at the time is it kind of felt like I'd fallen off a cliff emotionally. And, and then I couldn't get back up. And whereas people were kind of expecting me to get back up now, like it's been a week, you know, um, I couldn't get back up. And I was there for a long time. Uh, I remember my dad, a uh, wonderful man, uh, coming into my room, and he'd clearly been weeping. And he came into my room and he said, I don't know what else to do. This is kind of several months into this experience. I don't know what else to do. Will you come to the GP with me? I don't know how else to help you. And he took me to the GP, and uh, GP was really helpful and asked some questions. And uh, the GP asked me the question quite nonchalantly, have you been suicidal throughout this experience? And me, I guess not really understanding the, the, the weight of that question with my dad sat next to me, I just said, well, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, just remembering the weight of that and what that kind of did to my dad's face and realizing I was experiencing something that wasn't just teenage angst, it was probably a bit of that. But there was something happening to me inside of me that I couldn't understand, and it wasn't pleasant. Uh, then, fast forward some time, and I became a Christian. And as you know, when you become a Christian, everything resolves. It's all good, man. Everything's great. And, uh, and, and no tears anymore. Except that isn't true at all. 
And for me, uh, as a Christian, I've experienced some of this stuff as well. Uh, in my previous job, there was an incident that was uh, particularly stressful. Something happened. It involved a scandal and the national media and phone calls from reporters to my phone asking me what I thought and lots of stuff. And it all blew over in two weeks. But uh, I remember uh, collapsing on the floor in my kitchen in our little rented place in Harborne and unable to get up, unable to breathe, unable to stop weeping and, and shouting and screaming. And, and that's not me. Um, but that just happened, and I remember trying to dial down the volume so, so Ruth, my wife, wouldn't hear me, uh, and then also trying to dial it up so she would, because I felt like I wanted to be found, um, but I didn't want to be found, and I was just there, sprawled on the floor, and I like to be stood up doing this, yeah, and I was sprawled on the floor. Uh, that took me about a year to be myself again after that, I had some time off work. Uh, then, hey, Christians, it's all good, though. So it all came good, and then, um, and then we, we had our little girl. She was born two years ago, and there were some difficulties around the birth. And uh, after a little while of that, I just conked out again. Uh, I, I kind of, again, would experience it like falling off a cliff and just being unable to stop plunging. And I ended up in hospital, spent some time in hospital, not really sure what that was. Nobody really knew what was going on. Um, I never really, no one ever found out what happened, but I just, somehow I just conked out, <laughs> just kind of stopped functioning, and uh, spent some time in hospital, uh, and uh, recently feel like I'm on an, an upward curve with that. I feel well, I see you all uh, gladdened at that news. Um, but then at the start of this year, I just, again, just, I was walking up Northfield High Street, idyllic place that it is, <laughs> and I, I just felt myself, again, in a moment, I plunged again, and I slip and slid again, and, uh, and I've been getting some help from people in the church and various things. I won't bore you with all of that. But that's been a bit of my experience. I feel in a, a much better place right now. But I, I'm aware of a, an ongoing sense of fragility and slipping and sliding. And the, the ability to plunge suddenly for a while is in me. Um, and that's me. Now, why do I share that story? Uh, I don't share it to win a hearing, okay? Because... People who haven't experienced mental health difficulties are entitled to speak into it, okay? So I didn't need to tell you that so that you'd listen to me, because if I hadn't had those experiences, I might have had something to say anyway. I don't say it to win a hearing. I don't say it to win your attention. I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I, I don't need your attention. <laughs> um, I also don't say it... Uh, to pretend that I've experienced the worst of these issues. The things I've just said might... For some of you, you might be like, God, that's shockingly bad what he experienced. For lots of you, that will be laughably minor. <laughs> and I wouldn't pretend, and I wouldn't want to pretend, it wouldn't be my right to pretend that I know about this stuff really. Uh, my experiences are, are very mild uh, compared to lots of you, I know. Here's why I say it. A couple of reasons. Firstly, to show that my aim today is not to offer quick solutions. Here's the answer. Because I don't know that solution. I've not found it yet. I'm a Christian. I love God. Uh, but it's not quickly resolved everything in me. So it's not about quick solutions. And the second thing is just to slightly burst the shame bubble around these issues. There are lots of things I feel about those experiences that I've had and might continue to have. I feel sad about them. That is true. I feel mostly confused about them. I don't know what's going on in me a lot of the time. I don't know what label to give it. 
I don't want to give it a label, or I do, or I don't, and I'm just confused. That's a big thing about it as well. But there's something I don't feel about it. I don't feel ashamed of it. I don't feel ashamed of those experiences. I don't think they were moral failings in my life. And because I'm not ashamed of them, uh, I can talk about them. And I can talk about them in church. I can talk about them in Church Central. And uh, it's not necessarily appropriate for everyone to jump up and grab a mic and do 10 minutes on it, though feel free if you feel you must. Um, But I wanted to show you that you can say those things in Church Central And do you notice that the roof didn't collapse, like nobody died, like we're all okay after me saying that, aren't we? See, you can say that you've experienced some stuff. You can say that here. And maybe for some of you, whether you're in Church Central or outside Church Central at the moment, you're just visiting, maybe the one thing you needed to hear this morning is that in this church, you can say things like that and even be allowed to speak up the front occasionally. There's no shame here. I feel lots of things about that. I don't feel ashamed of those experiences. That's my story. And now I want to spend a little while looking at two errors that Christians like me with microphones at the front often make, uh, and Christianity has often made, that leads us to be what I would call right wallies about mental health stuff a lot of the time. Um, And we've basically incorrectly answered two questions, I think, Christians a lot of the time. We've incorrectly answered, what are we and when are we? I'll explain. Firstly, what are we? And by that, I mean, what is a human person? What is a human being? Uh, Depending on your place in society, uh, in uh, your culture, or where you were born in history, uh, human beings might have lots of different answers to the question, what is a human being? So our culture at the moment says that the most important bit of a person is your heart, right? So follow your heart. Uh, Be true to your heart. That's the real you, your heart, okay? And the other bits, yeah, you've got a body, but, you know, yeah, you've got a mind. but, But your heart, go with your heart. That's what our 21st century Western culture says is at the core of a human being. If you were a child of the Enlightenment... Um, then you might say that your mind is the most important bit of you. Your mind, what you think, your thought processes, and therefore the approach to progress in life is education and thinking rightly, okay? If you were a... uh, Uh, an atheistic, uh, naturalistic thinker, someone who doesn't believe in supernatural things or whatever, you would kind of cringe at the idea, follow your heart. You'd be like, what does that mean? We are our body. We're our biology. We're our our physicality, our our DNA. Uh, Richard Dawkins says, uh, DNA neither knows nor cares. We just dance to its music. And that's what we are. We're our, our chemicals and our biology. Uh, And if you were born in kind of a a different culture, perhaps the Middle East or somewhere like that, you wouldn't be able to answer the question, what is a human being, without reference to the group, the community that you find yourself in. You wouldn't say, oh, I'm this. You'd say, well, we are this, or I'm one part of my community, my family, my tribe. There are different ways that people answer the question, what are we? Now, I wonder how you would answer that question, and I'll show you why this is relevant in a minute. Just trust me. Just trust me. Uh, I wonder how you would answer that question. Now, here's historically how Christians have got this wrong when they've tried to answer this question. Christians have 
tended to disregard those things and have said primarily we are a spiritual person. That is what we are. We're spirits. Forget your body. That's very embarrassing to have like, you know, armpits and toenails. Forget that. And forget your mind. It's not about what you know. Like, it's probably not even true. But, you know, we're spiritual. We're spiritual people. Now, I think that that's a massive error. And let me show you why. Certainly, I believe as a Christian that we are spiritual people, that human beings have a massive element of us that is connected to God and that we're made to relate to God and the transcendent and that that's a massive part of who we are. And that our society, I would want to scream and shout into our society if they gave me a megaphone. And I'd say, we've forgotten this about us. We've, forg- we've, we've tried to chuck out God and think that the human being will be okay. And I think we've done that at our peril. But here's the thing. Christians have often thought we're only spiritual. And that, that our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our, our relationships and our society, that's not relevant. We are spiritual people. That isn't true. The Christian vision of a human being is of a whole person who's part of a community, an embodied spirit that has a physical body. You know, when Jesus came to the world, he didn't come and float around. He came and ate food and had a body. He was born in a physical way. I won't go into detail. And and it was physical. And he had a mind. And he had emotions. And that's a human being. Yes, spirituality is part of us. But we're more than that. And when someone asks Jesus what it means to get life right, he doesn't say, get spiritual. He says, love the Lord your God. So relate to God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And that word, is, it basically means force. It's a physical word. Now, here's why that's relevant. If you isolate one aspect of what a human being is, then you will assume that that is the arena where mental health difficulties come in. And you will assume that that's the solution to mental health difficulties, is to look at that one issue. So if you think that a human being is simply a mind, then mental health problems are a thought process error, and you need to get your thoughts right. And if you think a human being is just a a, a bag of DNA and chemicals, then mental health problems is only, I say only, only a chemical problem. That's the only thing you can say. And if, like Christians often do, you say, no, we're spiritual people, then that's where you get this error, where they say, then therefore, mental health problems is, is only a spiritual problem. You must be sinning. You must not love God properly. Where's your prayer life? Come on, be a better Christian. And I want to say that those questions are relevant, but they're only one part of the holistic picture of what the Bible teaches about what a person is. When God comes to an Old uh, Testament saint called Elijah, who's experiencing what he might refer to if he was up the front as a falling off the cliff plunging moment, do you know what the first thing he does? He doesn't hold a prayer meeting. He doesn't doesn't pray out. Do you know what the first thing he does? He sleeps. It's interesting. It's as if your body is somehow linked to your emotions and your heart and your spirit. And then God comes, and obviously God's going to say, prayer meeting. And God says, eat. That's interesting. Now, I think our spirituality is a big part of us. And I'm glad that when I've plunged off a cliff, people have asked me spiritual questions. I'm also really glad when they've said, what time are you going to bed? 
Like, how's your work-life balance? Do you need some time off? There's a holistic response that should come. So that's one error, which leads to things like, oh, you must be a bad Christian if you don't, you know, feel happy every minute. And that's not true. Here's a second error, slightly more quickly, I hope. Uh, when are we? When are we? We, we? we as Christians get this wrong sometimes. It's Remembrance Sunday, and uh, going to go into some war history for two minutes. Uh, come with me. It's not my scene knowledge-wise either, but we'll learn together. In World War II, it's an interesting thing if you ask about World War II. When was World War II won? Okay, what was the decisive moment when World War II won, when the battle was won? When was it? And there's two answers. Uh, This uh, person called Shirley Guthrie explains. Uh, She says, when the Allied forces landed in Normandy, you know, saving Private Ryan, D-Day, the decisive battle of the whole war was fought. After that, it was certain that Nazi Germany was going to lose. Do you see what she's saying? There was a moment that came in the midst of the war that won the war, a decisive act. that They landed on the shores and they did something that decided who was going to win the war. They secured peace forever in... Not forever, eh? But they secured peace in a meaningful way that changes world history forever on D-Day. That's when the war was won. But the war wasn't over on D-Day. She says this, between D-Day, the day of the invasion, and what she's calling V-Day, V-Day or V-J Day, the day that Allies' victory was finally declared, the Germans fought a number of desperate fallback battles across Europe. Many lives were lost. The war's been won. But many lives were lost and much damage done before they finally surrendered. But after the decisive battle in Normandy, it was clear how the war was going to turn out. The war was already won, even if it was not yet over. See what she's saying? The key victory day was D-Day. That secured it. But actually, until war ceased, there was still hurt. There was still pain. There was still setback. Now, here's the thing. Christians believe that Jesus Christ coming into the world 2,000 years ago was D-Day times a million. Someone landed on our shores to fight a battle and win the war. He went to the cross. He took on our sin and our shame and our guilt. If you don't know those words and you're not a Christian, don't worry. Just go with it. There's something substantial happens at the cross. And then he rises up. And like we've prayed already, there's victory. Someone got alive again after dying. Yes, victory is won. But the battle isn't over yet. Do you see how we're still here? Still how there's still things going on that are hard? Or there is a day coming when war will cease forever, when peace will come forever. And on that day, it would be very shocking if you turned up and said, I've got mental health problems, because that won't be there anymore. But we're not there yet. (laughs) I believe strongly there's a battle being fought, and Jesus won it when he came to the world. 
And that means I'm hopeful of progress and change in my situation. And I've seen some. I believe I can pray confidently. I want to see progress in your life if you've got these difficulties. I believe that there's hope, real hope and power now to see transformation now, definitely. But also, not yet. And therefore, I should not be shocked if you come to me as a good Christian, good, faithful Christian. And you say, I'm experiencing setback and battle and darkness. And I would say, the war is won. The war is not over. And that's a mistake we've made. There should be no room to be shocked when human beings and good Christians experience setback and darkness. Two errors. And now let's go three blessings. Uh, This originally was seven And then I cut it down to six, five, four, and we've landed at three. And maybe we'll overrun and I should have done one. Um, There could be a billion things, I would say, to speak about the blessings of knowing God. Uh, Here are just three. Firstly, you get as a Christian, if you're struggling, the understanding of Jesus. You get the understanding of Jesus. Uh, Those of us who've experienced mental health difficulties know the experience of going up to someone and them not getting it. And that's not their fault. And my obligation there is to show grace. But they don't get it. And then worse than that, they don't want to get it and they don't care about getting it. And again, my obligation is to show grace, but it's really annoying. And they deliberate posture. You might not even know them, but their posture towards you is just such that you know they get it. And... It's like they've maybe experienced it or they've, they, they've just something in their voice or their eyes or their body language. You just know this person gets it. Now, which is God? Is God the big tutting, do better? Or is God someone somehow who gets this experience, who understands it? Because I'm a Christian, I believe in the Jesus God, not just God in the sky, but God in the sky who took on a body and came to this world. When I look at Jesus, I see what God's like. And when I look at Jesus, called a man of sorrows. And when I look at Jesus the night before he died, this is God on earth says this in a prayer. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. God the Son prayed that. And if you've ever felt so overwhelmed that you think that the only way you could possibly escape from the plunging feeling that you have is to die. God the Son went there first. And he gets it. Even if no one else gets it. Even if, like me, you don't get yourself. He gets it. You get the understanding of Jesus. You then get the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. You might have noticed this in the world. People tend to split the world into two camps. Us and them, isn't it? You know, whichever side you're in, you're the us and they're the them, right? Goodies, baddies. You know, in America, in politics, you see this a lot. Two camps, two groups of people. Goodies, baddies, the right, the wrong, etc., Now, the Bible does that as well, okay? And Luke's gospel particularly does this. It holds up all the way through. There are two types of people that Jesus speaks about. 
And so there's loads of examples of this. There's this kind of moment where he meets the religious leaders and then some sinful, fraudulent tax collector rip-off merchants. Goodies, baddies, right? And then there's a dinner he has where there's a priest and a prostitute. And then he tells a story of two sons, religious, dutiful, goody, party-going, wild, covered in mud, baddie. And then there's a moment where he tells a story about two people praying. And he says one guy was praying about how good he'd been. Thank you, Lord, I've been great. And then another guy couldn't even look up because he was so aware of what a mess he was inside. He didn't understand himself and he couldn't look up. Two types of people. And the shock of Christianity and of Luke's gospel, when you read it, is that the religious, the older dutiful brother, the priest, the guy who did really well and could pray about it, they're held up to you as baddies. And the prostitute, the younger son who gets stuck in the mud because he's gone wrong, and the tax collector fraudulent guys... And the guy you can't even pray because he's such a mess. They're held up and Jesus goes, they are the ones I'm after. Now what's going on? Is he saying it's better to be a prostitute than to work for the church? I, I, I hope not, as I am employed by this fine establishment. <laughs> I don't think he's saying that. What he's saying is there are two types of people in the world. Here's how it's split. There are weak people who refuse to admit it. And there are weak people who admit it. And what Jesus sees in a person is not whether they're good or bad, but whether they're aware of their weakness and will cry out for help. The Bible says things like, I have not come for the healthy but the sick. That's good news. When my mind plays tricks on me. And he says things like, when I am weak, then I am strong. That somehow, if you can just dare to go, don't know what's going on in me, God sees that and he responds to that with grace. And it's the sorted, or those pretending they're sorted, because none of us are sorted. Those pretending they're sorted that Jesus shakes his head at and says, you've missed it. The grace of Jesus, which means for me, who is aware that I'm weak, not as aware as I should be, but I know when I plunge that I'm a mess, (laughs) That's not up for grabs. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And he says that to you. Third blessing, and then we'll hear some other voices. You get the understanding of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and you get the family of Jesus. One of the most unhelpful things about mental health difficulties is that it isolates you. Uh, You don't feel like you want to go and chat. (laughs) And often and I do this to others, people don't feel like they want to come and chat to you because you're like a bit odd now because you're kind of covered in snot and crying. And that's kind of how I was. And that's, that's, that's okay. That's just that's, that's how it is. It's, it's an odd, isolating thing. But when I come to Jesus, when you, if you do, come to belong to Jesus, you belong to the family of everyone else who's ever come to Jesus, past and present and in this room. And that means that as a Christian, you never have to walk, I haven't got solutions, but you never have to walk through difficulty alone. You never do. You know, um, I heard someone else say this. I would love to acknowledge who it was, but I can't remember. But I'm nicking this from someone. 
uh, that the church is often seen as an environment that's like a waiting room for a job interview, where everyone's trying to show their best side, put their best foot forward. I'm a goodie. I'm a goodie. I'm going to get the gig. And actually, the, the church is much more like the waiting room at a doctor's, where ain't no one got their makeup on or trying to pretend. <laughs> we all get it. We all know we're ill. That's why we're here. And so you look around this room this morning, and not everyone's got the same stuff going on. That's fine. But there isn't a, a, an altogether sorted, perfect person in the building. Because we've come to church, <laughs> where we cry out for help. And my experience of the church is that it ain't perfect. And this church ain't perfect. But when I plunged, people got round me. They asked me the right questions. They stuck with me. Then they got it wrong a bit. Then I got it wrong a lot. And now I'm still here, and they're still here, and we love each other. And we're not on our own. You get the family of Jesus. 